Welcome to Sharing in Our Caring, the podcast that brings together thought leaders, policymakers, and industry insiders. During our programs, we'll be shedding light on the human services sector that is often overlooked, but impacts us all. Join us for engaging conversations aimed at making positive change in this important space. Welcome back. We're on another episode of Sharing in Our Caring, and I'm one of your hosts, Elliot Masuda, the Strategic Partnerships Manager at Foothold Technology. And I'm Paul Rossi, the Head of Customer Advocacy at Foothold Technology. And we're excited to talk about our topic today, which is humanizing homelessness. And Paul, I'm excited to hear your point of view or what you bring to the conversation, because I know in your previous life prior to Foothold, you were very connected to the work around the unhoused and the homeless community. That's right, Elliot. I did spend quite a bit of time and have over the last oh, 25 years or so working in and around homelessness. And I'm excited to have the conversation today. I'm a little disappointed that we still have to have a conversation, you know, all these years later about humanizing the homeless or talking about stigma in certain populations. What makes this conversation really timely is that we're seeing increases in different segments of the homeless population, particularly around youth homelessness and transgender and gender nonconforming youth entering the homeless system. I mean, according to a HUD study, the annual homeless assessment report from 2021, they saw a nearly 30% rise over the previous year in transgender and gender nonconforming homeless youth entering the system. And if you want to talk about barriers and stigma, these young people are really heavily impacted by what's going on in our communities these days. Yeah. And Paul, for some of our listeners that might not know what HUD is. Can you just share some context? Yeah, Elliot, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD, is the federal agency responsible for providing communities with federal dollars to combat homelessness in their communities. So they coordinate nationwide all of the major homelessness response through local continuum of care partners. Great, thanks. And I think this is a great time to introduce our guest for the day, Adina Lichtman, who is the executive director of Knack Knack Givisak. And she may sound familiar since she was also on our previous episode around the 1% pledge. And I think she just sounded so mature in her thoughts around how to break down those barriers and the stigma around our unhoused. It was very hopeful and inspiring in terms of just, it's really little shifts of thought around connection, around the language that she used that was very eye-opening to me. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it's very positive that the younger generation are more attuned to societal concerns. And I, I think that they've been raised in an era where just everything is more present and more visible, it feels like, which is why we're having conversations around the homeless and unhoused. But I do think that the way Adina engages certainly stands out right and i really enjoy that one of her expressions around turning transactions into interactions really helps i think create a framework for taking the thinking around humanizing the homeless to another level great so let's jump into our conversation with adina hey elliot before we jump into the interview with adina can you tell us a little bit about our sponsor 
Yeah, so Foothold Technology is the leading web-based software provider for human services, designed to transform the way human service organizations provide care by offering nimble software, powerful analytics, and a trusted partnership guided by experience. So let's jump into the conversation with Adina. This wasn't going to be my career by any means. But as I mentioned a couple of minutes ago, I became a sock celebrity. So I would be asked to speak in different synagogues, churches, schools, and I would always ask the audience two questions. And I'll ask you guys here and for all of our listeners, I hope you think about these two questions. The first one is raise your hand if you've ever given money, food, or clothing to someone in need. The second question I ask is, can you tell me the name of one person experiencing homelessness? In most of the spaces that I've asked these questions, Everyone raises their hand for the first one. Everyone's given money, food, or clothing to someone in need. But that second question, can you tell me the name of one person who's homeless? Almost no one could raise their hand. And then on a liberal college campus like NYU, I have college students saying, Adina, what you're doing is great. But are most people who are homeless choosing to be homeless, right? Or aren't most of them drug addicts and alcoholics? Or don't most of them have mental illness? So there was just this massive disconnect between people who were helping and those who were getting helped. So my senior year, I decided to bring 50 of my college classmates and 50 people living in local shelters to have dinner side by side. But we had a rule. No one was allowed to serve anybody else. And the second rule was you had to sit next to someone new who you hadn't known before that night. So now you have a room filled with 50 college students and 50 people living in shelters, all sitting together, all eating food family style with icebreaker questions on the table. And by the end of the dinner, college students were like, Adina, we can't tell who's homeless and who's not. They were meeting moms who had three kids who couldn't afford childcare, dads who got out of prison but couldn't get jobs afterwards, people working minimum wage jobs. But that doesn't get you out of the shelter system. So all of a sudden, homelessness had a name and a face and a story to it. After that dinner, my senior year, that's when I decided I want to do this full time, but I want to do these dinners full time. And that was really my vision to get companies to collect socks in their office and then afterwards bring them together to have dinner side by side with the recipients of these sock donations. And towards the end of my senior year of college, I said, our mission is going to be humanizing homelessness one sock at a time by turning transactions into interactions. And that's really how I decided to transform Knock Knock Give a Sock into what was a small, nice, cute college project into something that actually has the ability to make a huge impact in the homelessness space. Definitely. You mentioned the corporations that you reached out to and JP Morgan Chase, for example. I took a look at your website. You have a tremendous number of corporate partners with really recognizable names, like, you know, worldwide and national presence. Was it just a simple ask? I mean, really, was it as simple as, hey, can you start a sock drive? And then, you know, we've got this other idea attached to that. Yes. And so, first of all, any company that does a sock drive and we've had major companies reach out to us about doing sock drives as well which is the beauty of our name and the beauty of what we do, right? right? So a lot of those companies that you see on our website, many of them have just done a sock drive, but we've also had many that we've been able to transform, right? That transaction into an interaction. So that's really the way that we operate. But 
We've worked with many big companies, including JP Morgan, Salesforce, Blackstone, WeWork, Morgan Stanley, right? Just to name a few. We've done a lot of these meet your neighbor dinners. Getting them to do the soft drive is pretty easy and it's a pretty easy ask. But once they've done the soft drive, that's when the real hustle comes into play. And sometimes it means sending cupcakes to the Goldman Sachs office. And it means sneaking my way into different conferences that I couldn't afford the ticket to get to. And especially as a nonprofit going into spaces that I don't fit in at. Mm. So I go to a lot of Wall Street events. And the reason why I do this is because while doing a meet your neighbor dinner on a college campus is great and impactful, college students have so much access to impactful work. Unfortunately, it's in that post-college world when people get into the weeds of their day-to-day that they lose touch with a lot of that impact and a lot of that connection, right? And a lot of times it's like, okay, a company will go and they'll box up food in a soup kitchen, but it's not really connecting with people. And that's how we make a change. People become passionate when they know that the people they care about are affected by these social issues. So now take that same situation, walk into an office in corporate America and ask those people if they know somebody personally is homeless, most of those people will say no. And so how can we ever imagine creating change around homelessness if people don't feel personally connected to it? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, I, I think that most folks see homelessness as an annoyance in an urban environment, right? Like it's something that you have to sort of coexist with and around. And, and it is wonderful that you're out there changing the conversation and, and creating space for conversations that, you know, they're not happening otherwise. So that is, I think, fantastic. You know, it's so great to hear more about Knock Knock Give a Sock. And I think what we wanted to focus on this episode was really the Meet Your Neighbor dinners and how they are helping break down the stigma of our unhoused. And she talks about connection and how really the way for us to make progress, I think, is to get to know the person on the other end and having that connection. So I think the Meet Your Neighbor dinners are so fantastic. And I think that those opportunities are safe for people, right? Because they're structured, they're facilitated. There is a plan for what that interaction will look like. And I think that the way that Adina and her team structure those dinners and the follow-up, I think it really does change the conversation for every one of the attendees, both the unhoused neighbors that are sitting for dinner, as well as the representatives from the organization sponsoring the dinner because they typically wouldn't have had an opportunity to meet otherwise. And I think that much like Adina's story about the Knock Knock Give a Sock growing out of essentially a speed dating exercise, you never know what is gonna come out of the next encounter. So just as she had what ultimately turned out to be a life-changing, mission-driven sort of pursuit of humanizing homelessness and addressing some very real practical needs that they have, Others might be able to come to that realization as well. It's like I'm eating next to this person. I'm having a meal. We're having laughs and, you know, sharing stories. And then I find out that they've been homeless for 12 years and they're living in a shelter. Well, that totally changes the way I feel about homelessness. I remember when my sister was telling me about, I think I was giving food to the homeless and I got annoyed. Someone was like, oh, I don't want that. Or I like can't eat that. And I was like, don't you need food? And she was like, but that would be like someone giving you food and you're not even like, do they need the food? Do they want the food? 
Is that what they enjoy? I think that was such a life lesson for me early on when I was a teenager of that humanizing part. It's like, oh, they obviously have opinions and preferences just like me and they should matter and that Mm -hmm. should matter, you know, and that always stuck with me. It would be totally inappropriate for everybody to just walk up to every person they saw, insert themselves into whatever challenge or difficulty that person is having and assume that you are offering some role in fixing something for them and they're not interested in that fix. That doesn't mean that it's a lost cause or that you did anything bad. It just means that in that particular situation, what you had of value to help wasn't something that was of value to them. Yeah. And Adina was able to share with us some success stories and challenges. So I think this is a good time for us to jump back into our interview. So can you just talk a little bit more about these Meet Your Neighbor dinners? I'd love to hear the obstacles that you've had to kind of face. And just on the flip side, I'm sure you have, I don't know if it's like quotes from people, but I'm sure it's eye-opening, right? Like that's that your whole mission is to humanize homelessness. But anything that you can communicate on once people have the opportunity to do it, how they leave from those dinners. Sure. One, just to focus on the obstacles that you mentioned. When I first thought of doing these meet your neighbor dinners, I basically had to lie to my college campus and tell them we were just doing a dinner with some student clubs on campus and we're inviting some people from outside. I couldn't really go into detail. Yeah, we're bringing people from shelters to come in and have dinner with us. I got very little support from my campus. There's one group on campus that actually said that we were exploiting homelessness and they wanted nothing to do with us. And that's just from the campus side when I first wanted to do it. And it felt very bizarre to me because a group on campus telling me that I was exploiting people who were experiencing homelessness, but talking to people who were working in homeless shelters that thought this would be excellent for their client felt very bizarre. Felt like we're being so careful without actually asking the people who are affected, hey, is this something that you want to do? Then come to the corporate side, We have an open floor space plan. Is it safe? The amount of security guards that we have outside, the amount of conversations I have to have with HR and security beforehand, right? All because there's all these stigmas and stereotypes around homelessness. No matter how many times I tell them, we're even sending people who work from the shelter to the event. Sometimes I have to have like four or five meetings just before that event. So it's still an obstacle. Again, once you kind of bring in some of the bigger players and say, hey, we have done this with Salesforce. We have done this with JP Morgan. The companies let down their walls a little bit and are like, okay, we can do it too. So that's just on the obstacle side in terms of actually getting people to have our neighbors who are experiencing homelessness come into their space. In terms of the effects that these dinners have, so there's two. There's one, our clients who are coming from homes, right? Who are working in these different companies our clients who are coming from shelters. And they're two vastly different experiences. For our neighbors who are coming from homes with roofs over their heads and working very often these corporate jobs, I like to say that antennas are grown. And what do I mean by that? When someone, let's say John, right? John who works at JP Morgan sits down next to Bob who lives in a shelter and he hears Bob's story. And he feels connected to Bob. He's built a relationship with Bob. 
Now he's on his way home. He's going to the subway back to his apartment on Fifth Avenue. All of a sudden, the next guy who he sees, who's either on the subway telling their story or on the sidewalk with their sign, he remembers Bob telling the story of when he had to spend three nights on the sidewalk, right? All of a sudden, it becomes personal. You literally develop antennas. And that's what happens. Homelessness becomes personal because you know somebody who's personally experienced it. And you just can't walk by on the streets the same way. And I've gotten so many messages and emails saying, hey, I actually introduced myself to this guy in the street corner who I see every day or a lot of these different stories, but they just can't help but feel emotion. I think, especially in New York, many of us numb ourselves to the feelings of walking on the streets every day because it's so hard. And unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, we make you feel, right? When you sit down and you know someone's story personally, you can't help but feel the pain of that in a much more intense way. On the other hand, for our neighbors who are living in shelters, I get questions all the time. Isn't it bizarre, like someone who's actually living in a homeless shelter, sitting next to someone who has so much wealth, has so much money, has such a great job in corporate America. Isn't that uncomfortable? And what I say is they see you every day. They see you walking to your Fifth Avenue apartments. They see you walking into your fancy buildings. They see you walking with your briefcases and your new suits on, right? You're not hiding anything. They're in New York City. Like they see it all. It's just a matter of saying, hey, why don't we sit at the table together? Why don't we have you join our table? And what that gives to someone is actually way more impactful. And we have people who get up and share their stories at our dinners. And they've said, in society, I feel invisible. Or in society, I feel annoying. But here, I actually feel a part of society. I had one man who said to me, Miss Adina, you can't ever stop doing these dinners. I spent over 25 years in prison. I lived in Brooklyn my entire life. And I never thought my Brooklyn would look like this. Black people and white people sitting together. This is the first time I've sat at a table with a white person who's not my lawyer. And these are the kind of stories that we try to get by, right? And it, it goes both ways. I think for our neighbors who are coming from homes, we humanize homelessness. And I think that's the only way to create real change, right? People need to feel passionate. Maybe they'll hear a council member talking about what they want to do about homelessness and they'll listen up a little bit more. And maybe they'll vote a little bit differently around homelessness because now they know somebody who's affected, whereas beforehand, it was just another issue that was mentioned. And when it comes to our neighbors coming from shelters, they no longer feel like they're taking up room in someone else's community, but rather feel a part of the community. And I love how you frame that, emphasize it. And, you know, it's the thread that runs through everything because you continue to refer to them as our neighbors living in shelter, opposed to just branding them as homeless people. And I think that when we talk about stigma, we're talking about carrying with us some feeling of disgrace. And that's a lot for someone to carry with them, particularly when they already have a lot going on. So it's just a simple matter of how we refer to someone that has a big impact on how we frame our thinking about them and hopefully carries over into our interactions with someone that's having some challenges to overcome. So if you think about, you know, drug addiction, Instead, use substance use disorder. If you're talking about somebody who is, you know, in quotes, schizophrenic, this is actually somebody living with schizophrenia. And the same thing with the homeless. These are folks that are unhoused. Their current condition is that they're unhoused. They're unhoused neighbors. So yeah, I think that that helps to change the sort of the dialogue quite a bit. Thank you. Yeah, and, and really wonderful and supportive. What's interesting about that is 
I have my own opinions about how people talk about things. But what's interesting is I never I never get up and say, hey, let's start saying it in this way or in that way. But what ends up happening is we'll have me your neighbor dinner. I'll give a couple speeches about why we're all here and why we're all gathered. And by the end of the night, I have people coming over to me who work in corporate America who say, hey, I was talking to my neighbor, Jim, and he told me X, Y, Z about the shelter system. I never knew. And his language has changed. I never told anyone to start referring to people experiencing homelessness as their neighbor. But that's just the way they start doing it. And it's really powerful. Yeah, really powerful. Yeah, I agree. When we talk about the stigma surrounding homelessness, the folks that are unhoused and living on our streets or living in encampments in some cities, that's what I think most folks think about when they think about homelessness today. I don't think that they see, and because they don't identify them as homeless, the other folks in our community who you know, live in some sort of shelter or live in supportive environments, perhaps had very brief street homelessness experience in their background, or maybe none at all. The idea that, you know, that they're not well, or that they're not clean, that they're dangerous, they're uncivilized, that they've made this choice to be homeless, or that they represent things that as a society, we should keep hidden, I think is sad that we're here in, you know, in 2022, and that we haven't gained a better perspective on these are folks that are really, struggling, how can we be a better assistance to them instead of criminalizing the behaviors that they've resorted to as a consequence of being on the street for so long or being without housing for as long as many of them have? Yeah. And I would say I would be in that camp of connecting homelessness with the people that you see on the street until I started working at Foothold Technology and you realize that people that are experiencing homelessness. It's a really for a variety of reasons. It's not just living on the street, right? It's shelters, like you just mentioned. And there's so many different cases of what it looks like for someone to experience homelessness. People that are currently homeless or people that have recently been homeless, to be a part of the conversation in their communities around policies, legislation that's going to change the way challenges around homelessness are addressed, development of affordable housing, the kinds of services that are being offered and and really having their voice be a direct part of the conversation and not having their stories just shared by folks that provide services to them or have some thought or opinion about them, but instead they get to impact their situation with their own voice. And that's something that has been unfortunately missing at a lot of the tables and policy discussions across the country. And it's something right now that there's a, you know, there's a very strong national movement to have more folks with lived experience participate in those conversations. And hopefully we'll end up with better outcomes, frankly. Yeah, I think that's falls under the whole diversity, equity, and inclusion movement. So we're talking about the unhoused specifically now, but it's even just in your own corporate America, right? It's Absolutely. bringing Representation voices, is important. Yeah, on all levels, right? Absolutely. So it's it really can be applied <laughs> throughout. This is another great episode. You know, I think that through our conversation, we can see that this is obviously a very important topic. And I'm glad we were able to have such an amazing guest like Adina and want to thank her for coming on and talking with us. And I totally agree, Elliot. Uh, you know, she has such wonderful energy. 
the organization is doing really great work. And honestly, with the lifting of most COVID restrictions now, I'm really excited to have them be able to get back to doing their in-person dinners and, you know, really continuing to have an impact in the areas they serve. It was great speaking with her. And as we do with every episode, we wanted to leave you with one final thought from Adina. I like to end off when I speak to people on this note. How do you change day to day? You've just heard a whole story about not going to give us talking about engaging your community. And we actually focus primarily on engaging communities. If you'll notice, we, I haven't said, hey, as an individual, you could do X, Y, Z. We really focus on engaging communities as a whole. But as an individual, many of us live in cities in which we see our neighbors who are experiencing homelessness every single day. And what do we do then? And one, I encourage everyone to hold on to a few pairs of socks in the winter, a few bottles of water in the summer, but really looking out for our neighbors who are in need. And most importantly, learning their names. And I always say, people say, should I give money? Should I give food? Should I give? I say, the most important thing is giving dignity, right? If someone says to you, hey, do you have change? To look them in the eye and say, I'm sorry, I don't. But hopefully next time I pass by here, I will, right? Or I'll keep you in my prayers. Or learning their name, being like, I'm sorry, I don't. What's your name? I'll try to have something next time I see you, right? And they say their name is John. Next time you see them, you say, hey, John, and actually focus on trying to remember their names and providing dignity. A lot of people are uncomfortable talking to our neighbors who are experiencing homelessness, which I understand, especially if you're an introvert. But like, even just beyond, it's scary. It could be scary talking to someone who's on the street and if you've never done it before. I have one piece of advice. If you see a cardboard sign with someone telling their story or you hear someone on a train telling their story, these are people who are looking for human connection, right? They're not even just shaking their cup, asking for money. They're trying to convey their story for you. They're trying to share their humanity. And these are the people who are looking for that human connection. So in those situations, those are the times where I would say, it's the safest to approach and the most meaningful and impactful to approach. If you see those cardboard signs or someone sharing their story. Thanks for listening to Sharing and Our Caring, brought to you by Foothold Technology. Special thanks to our guest, Adina Lichtman. We also want to give a shout out to Resonate, who has helped us with production and editing. And if you liked this episode and want to hear more, please like and subscribe and consider following us on our social media channels by searching at Foothold Tech. For more information, visit us at footholdtechnology.com and we'll catch you up on our next episode.